during a time when I was a student at the University of Western Ontario, there was a very brief period when I worked part-time in a jewelry store. So Marcia, if you can get my work permit altered, I might be of some assistance to you in the months ahead. But seriously, at that time when I worked in the jewelry store, I was seriously dating a young woman who would eventually become my wife. And as you ex might expect, my interest in jewelry extended far beyond making some sales and earning some commission bonuses, but my interest in jewelry had a lot, if not everything, to do with Allie. I couldn't help that as I worked in the store and became familiar with all the pieces of jewelry that I would often think of Allie. Now there were many of these pieces of jewelry that I could readily afford and I could have easily purchased them and given them to Allie. But I held out. I resisted buying those pieces of jewelry because I was looking for that one piece of jewelry. I was looking for that perfect diamond ring with which I would use to make a proposal for Allie to be my wife. Well, by the end of my season of employment at the jewelry store, I had figured out which ring I wanted to get for Allie. Now, truth be told, I'd identified one earlier and knew everything about the ring, and when I explained it to a customer, they bought that ring right from under me. So I had to find a different ring. And to purchase that ring, I had to hand over literally every penny that I ever earned working at that jewelry store in order to get that ring. Needless to say, having a bank balance, in all seriousness, a bank balance of zero was perfectly acceptable to me. If the process of buying this ring and giving it to Allie would lead to her marrying me and spending the rest of our lives together, it would have been worth it. Many of you, I suspect, if you were in my shoes, would have done the same thing. And maybe some of you have done the same thing. In order to gain something that we treasure immensely, we'll give up a lot, won't we? We'll sacrifice greatly for the thing which we treasure most. Well, Jesus frames the kingdom of heaven in very similar terms, as you heard read in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything and bought it. And if we look at Psalm 27 this morning, you'll see a very sing same singular focus in the words of King David who wrote this psalm. Now imagine, as king of Israel, David had a lot of things to do. There were a lot of things on his mind, a lot of things that were, could have distracted him. He was regularly threatened by foreign enemies and there was instability in the region. You may be familiar enough to know that David had to face insurrections from those who were closest to him, even his own son. 
Nevertheless, David remained focused on his singular pursuit of God. Look at verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Now, if you're reading carefully, you may have already noticed, David doesn't literally ask for one thing. In fact, he asks for quite a few things in Psalm 27. If you're following along, David asks that he might dwell in the house of the Lord. Verse 4. In verse 7, he asks that the Lord be merciful to him. In verse 11, he asks that he be taught in the way of the Lord. And in verse 12, he asks that he not be delivered over to his foes. So since David is clearly asking for many things from the Lord, how is it true for him to say, one thing I ask of the Lord? Well, when David uses the word one, he's not making a reference to quantity. He's not making a reference to quantity, but rather he's making a statement about his priority. David is praying for a great many things, but the one thing he must have, the one thing he must have above all else, is the presence and the favor of God. And this is what David seeks most earnestly. So friends, this morning, I want you to consider the priority of David. And as we consider the priority of David, are we not greatly challenged in this regard? Because I think it's an easy thing for me to stand here and say, I desire to have fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's easy for me to do. I would also suggest that it's an easy thing to demonstrate that I have a sincere commitment to Christ, evidenced by the attention I give to the scriptures and to the time I take in prayer. But then I observe David. I observe his desire to engage God and I see that it goes far beyond participating in a few religious activities. For David, fellowship with the Lord was his great priority. For David, nothing on earth was more important than the relationship he had with God. So I look at David, and hopefully you are, I look at David, then I look in the mirror, and immediately I conclude, I've got a lot of work to do. I don't have the singular focus that David has. I'm lacking. It's not enough for Christ to have an important place in my life. That's not enough. What is necessary is for Christ to occupy the supreme place in my life. And for David, God was this. God was at the center of David's existence. God was what David wanted more than anything else on earth. Remember, David had virtually every worldly resource. 
Virtually every worldly resource. And as he, I can imagine him looking around at his residence and his riches and all that he had. And at the end of the day, he did the math and he says, The Lord, you alone are worth my passion. You alone are worthy of my affections. David wanted God more than anything. Now, as you know, I've only lived in Nassau for three years. And as a result of that, you know of my reluctance to make from this pulpit cultural observations. But when I do make cultural observations, I do so, I hope, reflecting the observations that I've heard from many of you. So here is what I've been hearing. For a country that is saturated with churches, for a country that is steeped in Christian tradition, there ought to be a lot less crime. There ought to be a lot less hypocrisy. There ought to be a lot less dysfunction than there currently is. And if this is a fair assessment that I've heard from many, How do we account for this? If our profession of faith is so strong, and yet the outworkings of that faith is so complex and complicated, at times dysfunctional, how do we account for this? Could it be? Could it be that the impact of the individual Christian upon society and the impact of Christian congregations upon society is greatly diminished if we only name Christ without following Him wholeheartedly. Perhaps the problem, not only in our nation, but in many nations across the world, is that our impact upon society is diminished because we name Christ without following him wholeheartedly. I like the way John Piper puts it. Pastor John Piper writes, The greatest need of every Christian is to know God better and to enjoy God more than anything else in this world. We've got it up on the screen. I don't know about you, but I read the first sentence and I say, Yeah, that's great. I want to know God better. I pause at that second statement. That I need to enjoy God more than anything else in this world. Again, the issue isn't whether we love Christ at all, but rather whether we love Christ most of all. And this is where I suspect that many of us fall short. Hear David again, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Not only does David articulate a singular focus for us, but he also articulates an enduring focus. He says in Psalm 27 that he desires to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. 
David wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord every day of his earthly existence. And so the implications, I think, for us are clear. Our desire for fellowship with God must not simply be a Sunday desire. Our pursuit of Christ must extend beyond our prayer meetings. It must extend beyond our Bible studies. If Christ is indeed the pearl of great value, our hearts should be turned to Him throughout the day and every day. So how do we get there? Because I don't know about you. I, I can't pretend to read how your conscience works in a, a setting like this. But as I was going through the text this week, I felt terribly guilty. Terribly guilty about not treasuring Christ as I ought. Guilty that Christ is not the supreme one that he ought to be. But I want to assure you, friends, my intention, my desire is not for you to feel guilty. I don't want you to feel guilty about the fact that for many or most of you, Christ is not yet your supreme treasure. My intent this morning is not to set before you a bar that you're incapable of reaching. My sincere desire this morning is to set before you certain steps or procedures or activities, if you will, that will help you to treasure and love God more than anything else on this planet. And to this end, I want to put before you three attributes or three traits. They're modeled by David in this text. And these attributes will enhance your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ if you appropriate them. So I'll give them to you right in a row and then we'll take them one at a time. Three attributes that will help you in your relationship with the Lord. The first is praise. The second is prayer. And the third is patience. And I know it seems like I'm using alliteration to make it memorable, but they're right in the text. So, the, so David's making it easy for us. Praise, prayer, and patience will help us grow closer to the Lord. You'll note Psalm 27 actually begins with declarations of praise. That's what David's doing as he begins. He says, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He's praising God. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And the praise continues in verse 6. David says, I will sacrifice with what? With lambs, with bulls. What are you sacrificing, David? I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and then make music to the Lord. Many of you know from experience that praise elevates our affections for God. It's possible you're going through your day and you're thinking about God. And, hmm, it's not a big deal for some of us. But we come in a church, we start singing what a friend we have in Jesus, and it does something to us. It elevates our affections towards God. And so it's for good reason that we sing, that we make music to the Lord when we gather Sunday by Sunday. But again, praise must never be just a Sunday thing. 
If we're only singing to the Lord on Sunday morning, there will be shortcomings in our relationship with Christ. This past week I was walking down Frederick Street and this this experience wasn't unique for me since moving to the Bahamas and maybe you've had something similar. I was walking down Frederick Street this week and I was about to pass somebody who was walking much, much slower than I. And as I I began to to start to, to maneuver past this person, I noticed they were singing. In fact, they were singing a hymn. And I was close enough to notice the positive impact that singing a hymn had on that woman's disposition. And it began, her singing not only changed her own disposition, but it began to change mine. And so I I slowed right down. I didn't pass her. In fact, I, I lingered a few steps behind and I took in her hymn of praise as she drew close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise is vital to our relationship with Christ. The second attribute or activity for a person who wants to draw closer to the Lord is prayer. No surprise on that one. No surprise that a preacher would say, to get closer to God, we must pray more. But I don't simply want to say that. I want to point out that David models this for us in verses 7 through 12. In that portion of the text, David offers up a variety of petitions to the Lord. Read these petitions closely. You'll notice something that I think is vital for our apprehension. David doesn't simply pray for things. It's not like a a dear Santa list. It's not a, I need you to give me A, B, and C type of list. But you'll notice as you read David's petitions, they're primarily aimed at strengthening his relationship with God. So David's not so much concerned with getting things from God as he is getting God himself. Along those same lines... I want to suggest to you this morning, if proximity to the Lord is our great priority, and I hope it is, I hope that you want to be near to the Lord Jesus Christ, that that is your treasure. If that is your great priority, it logically follows that you will commit a great deal of time to conversing with Him. Think about it. If I told you this morning, and and I told you that Allie, my wife, was the most important person in my life. If I made that claim, but I never spoke to Allie, or you noticed that I never spent time with Allie, I never went on a date with Allie, you would have reason to question my claim that Allie is the most important person in my life. In fact, you would probably begin to worry about my marriage. If if you found out I wasn't speaking to my wife or I wasn't spending time with her. This is because we know by experience, perhaps we even know instinctively, healthy relationships are marked by meaningful communication. Healthy relationships are marked by meaningful communication. I'm telling you something you already know. What I'm asking you to do with that is import that principle to your relationship with God. If you want a healthy relationship with God, you need to have meaningful communication with Him. 
You need to pray. And your time and prayer will indicate just how serious you are about improving that relationship. That's the second trait. The third trait might seem out of place, but it's right here in the text. And it does begin with the letter P, so it fits right in. The third trait, which will strengthen our relationship with the Lord, is, wait for it, patience. Patience. We see this trait identified in verse 13, but more explicitly, so we don't miss it, verse 14, David says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Maybe I shouldn't universalize my own experience, but I'm guessing this is a tough one for many of you here. Because I know that some of us are wired as doers. We're wired to get things done. And waiting does not come easily for doers. I know this. I'm a doer. And I have trouble waiting. But unfortunately, this can adversely affect how you interact with God. And here's how it works out. You end up praising God, because you've read Psalm 27, you know it's vital to your relationship. So you're praising God, you're praying to God, you're meaningfully communicating with Him. But then, you want to lead God. You want to take God where you want to go. You want to captain the ship. Why does this happen? I think we're tempted to lead God or to get ahead of God because there are times when God seems slow to act. There are times when God seems slow in revealing the plan He has for our life. There are times when God seems slow to take the lead in our life and in the lives of others. But David has learned something. And he wants us to learn it as well. And it's the importance of waiting upon the Lord. The importance of waiting upon the Lord. I want to illustrate this. One of my silly illustrations from my younger days in Canada. When I was 10 years old, and I was 10, I remember this vividly. This was my pattern. When I was 10, I went to a lot of Toronto Blue Jay baseball games with my father. And most of the time, we would take the train to the stadium. And so when the train would reach the stadium, immediately we would get out, and I would run ahead of my father. I know that sounds reckless and, and not the safest thing, but back then in 1982, this seemed like a reasonable thing for a 10-year-old boy. So off I go, I would run ahead. I was eager to watch this baseball game. But it would always dawn on me in 50 yards down the way that I was missing something. I needed a ticket. That I couldn't get into the ballpark without the ticket. And my father had the ticket. So back I go, running back to my father. Dad, Dad, will you give me the ticket? I, I know where the gate is. I want to go in. I want to go see the game. And he would refuse me. He wouldn't give me the ticket. And so what did I do? I would run ahead again. I would run ahead. I had all this boundless energy. I'd run ahead and again, realize, what am I running for? I can't get in without this man. I need to wait for my father. And the problem is, we had conflicting priorities. 
My number one priority was to get into that ballpark and watch the game. But I realized afterwards that wasn't my dad's number one priority. My dad's number one priority was to spend time with me. And had he have given me the ticket, I would have run ahead and left him. And he would have been on his own. I would have got what I wanted, but he wouldn't have got what he wanted. I give you this illustration because I see a lot of this happen in the church today. People going after God to get something. And if we get something, we run ahead. And we're not willing to wait for the Lord. David calls us back. David's suggestion is that the provisions of the Lord isn't the great treasure. It isn't the great pearl. But the great treasure is God Himself. So He calls us back. And He says, dear friend, wait. Wait for the Lord. I want to connect this last principle of patience, of waiting for the Lord. I want to connect this last principle to how we can engage society here in the Bahamas. I listen to a lot of radio. I follow a lot of social media. I don't know a lot, but I hear a lot. And I often hear lack of leadership put forward as the reason for many of the problems we're experiencing in the Bahamas. Follow social media long enough, listen to enough radio, listen to your neighbor long enough, you will likely hear the phrase, lack of leadership. And as we think about the lack of leadership, or as we hear these claims, we pick on various groups. Sometimes we pick on the educators in our society. Sometimes we pick on the police force. Usually we pick on the politicians. And yes, there are some who would even look at us in here and would diagnose the problem and say the church is lacking leadership and is missing out on an opportunity to assist society in a variety of ways. But as I think about all that David has said in this psalm, as I think about all that Christ has modeled in the Gospels, I'm not sure that saying that there is a lack of leadership is the best way to frame the problems we currently face. Why do I say this? I say this noting that King David, the leader of Israel, was one of the most successful kings in history. One of the most successful leaders in history. But how did he lead? David led by following. David did not puff out his chest. He was not about bravado. He was not about being macho. David was a follower. He was an intense follower of the way. He led not by marching out front, but he led by waiting. Waiting for one who is greater than he. 
And so friends, as we adjourn here this morning, I don't know if I want you to be thinking about how you can lead better. I don't know if I want you thinking about how St. Andrew's Kirk can lead better. But rather, I hope you leave here this morning thinking about how we can follow better. How can we be better followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? This should be our great priority. Christ who bids us with the call, follow me, should be our great priority. I don't need to tell this group. You already know it. I'm just reminding you of what you already know. Christ is worthy of our affection. Christ is the pearl of great value. And we should be willing to exchange anything and everything to have Christ, that great pearl. So friends, if I leave you with something, I leave you with this. Spare no effort as you seek after Christ. Wait for Christ. Let Him lead you. And as Christ leads you, follow closely behind, praising Him, praying to Him, and being patient with Him when He doesn't lead you where you think you should go. As I've heard it said, God knows best. Wait for the Lord and follow Him. Amen.